0: I am uh, going into 20, my 28th year at work with, uh, with our business. Started in 1994 in July. In 2005, I became one of the partners of the company. And uh, then just a couple of years ago, I became the majority stakeholder and CEO one of the things that, about the way our company was started, it's, it, it operates kind of differently than a lot of companies, in that uh, our founder decided that he wanted to base our company on biblical principles, and one of those principles is, if you don't work, you don't eat. Meaning that no one in our company is on salary. Nobody in our company is assured an in income. If we have clients and we have projects, then we get paid. The more clients, the more projects we have, the more we get paid. And it's an interesting system because every year we start out and look out the forecast for the year. And there are some years that the income looks pretty meager. There's no way we're going to meet budget if it stays this way. But there's also then a motivation, right, to do really well by our clients so that they want us to keep coming back. The last week, I was uh, talking to our largest client. We've been working with them for 16 years. And over the last couple of years, they have continued to expand the projects and the roles that we have within their business. So, they, we were talking last week about the wish list, what next year looks like, and we were putting together the plans and beginning to put together the proposal. Now, Wendy and I, over the last six months or so, have been praying, and Wendy's the one who prompted it because we were talking about the parable of the talents, and we began praying for our business to double. Because we've always considered that that our company is not ours. Our company belongs to God. And so we're like the talents. We're, We're the stewards. And if we really do well in investing in our company and giving it our all to the glory of God, then we believe we should see a return. So we've been praying in faith that our business would double. We've been praying in faith that our that our staff would double. On Tuesday morning this past week, I got an unexpected email from our biggest client. After 16 years, and even though last week we were talking about what we're gonna do in 2022, they pulled the plug. We'll get nothing from them next year. We have been praying to double our business. And it feels like with one email, it was cut in half. What the hell? What the hell? What do you do with that? We're in our last week of Ecclesiastes. And if you've got your Bibles with you, let's go to chapter 12. That's where we are at. The final chapter. And it kind of ends up the way it begins. Let me read it to you. The teacher begins by telling us that it's good to remember God in our youth. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. When you're young... Cling on to God. Why? Well, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you'll say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and light and the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds return after the rain and the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop. Wendy and I have the joy of really walking with her grandmother who's still living in her own apartment, but her eyesight is not good. And at 94, there's a lot that's not great with life. And one of the things that Wendy and I have been been doing in in walking with her grandma is walking with her in the fact that there's not a lot of pleasure in her days anymore. Why? Because she's sore. She's painful all the time. And her body's giving out. She's losing her eyesight. She's legally blind. And so, what the teacher is saying is hey, before you get to that point, while you have a chance to eat and drink and enjoy life and enjoy your meals and enjoy your family and enjoy your work, understand in in serving God, He has so much to give us in the enjoyment of this life. So, do it before the end. When the doors on the street are closed and the sound of the grinding fades, when the people rise up and At the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. When people are afraid of heights and dangers in the street, when almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags itself along and desire no longer is stirred. Then people go home to their eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him, remember God before the silver cord is severed. What is that? That's life. Before you die. And the golden bowl is broken before the pitcher is shattered at the spring and the wheel broken at the well before everything falls apart and the dust returns to the ground, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. And then he ends like he began, Hevel, Hevel, says the teacher, everything is Hevel. Now, as we've been going through Ecclesiastes, I've talked to a lot of you who've kind of struggled through the the challenge. And I've had conversations with many of you about the fact that, yes, we have to understand that the the teacher was speaking before Christ. But that doesn't mean that that the teachings of the teacher aren't important. It doesn't mean that they have no meaning, that they're not for us. In fact, I believe that Jesus taught the same things as Ecclesiastes, but it wasn't a either or. So we can go, well, Jesus came, so it's not what Ecclesiastes said, but it's what Jesus said. That's an either or mindset. But Jesus came and he taught the same things as the teacher, but he taught it as a yes and. So this morning, as we wrap up, three, three. Teachings from Ecclesiastes that Jesus affirmed. Number one, we've talked about, that the teacher always talks about living under the sun, on this world, below eternity, underneath the clouds, this level three world. Ecclesiastes 2.18, all my labor profits me nothing. I work and work and work and work, and then I leave it all behind to somebody who didn't earn it. Ecclesiastes 4.1, it's like, yeah, I've seen kings, fools be kings. And I've looked at kings who are slaves. What the hell? Yes, there's no justice. There's oppression and toil and wickedness in this world. Remember we talked about that's the way the world works. And so he comes back to, well, just enjoy those simple things. So Jesus takes that and says, yes, all my labor profits me nothing. Yes, Ecclesiastes, and then why do you try and store up treasures here on this earth? Why? Because when you do, it just rusts and decays and you leave it behind. Why do you store up treasures on this earth where it can get stolen? And we find ourselves going, what the hell? Why did my stuff get stolen? Why do you make treasures here on earth? Store up your treasures in heaven. So Jesus says, yes, right on, teacher. But realize that there is another part of the story. You are, <laughs> we're all going to end up in eternity. Store up your treasures in the kingdom of heaven and not in the kingdoms of this world. Yes, teacher. This is the way the world works and there's wickedness and oppression. The kingdoms of this world, under the prince of this world, That's the way the world works. But then in Matthew chapter five, if you got your Bibles, you can go there with me. Chapter five, the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. This is the way the world works. Then what does he say? But I tell you. Verse 31, it has been said. That's the way the world works. But I tell you. Again, you have heard that it was said on this earth, but I tell you. Verse 38, you have heard that it said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth because that's the way the world works, but I tell you. You have heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That's the way the world works, but I tell you. And in each case, It's a yes and. Yes, this is the way the world works, but I am telling you to live in this world as if you are a child of the kingdom of heaven. And if we are followers of Christ, then we are going to live differently because we live with a kingdom level four perspective in our daily earthly level three kingdoms of this world lives. Yes, it's the way the world works. But I tell you, so enjoy the simple pleasures of this earth. That's what Ecclesiastes kept saying. It's just good to eat and drink and enjoy life while you can. And Jesus would say to that, yes, yes. And guess what? Where, you know where you're going to find the son of God? You're going to find the son of God at a table with people having conversations, and enjoying a good meal. Read the Gospels. Where do we find Jesus? We find Jesus eating with the Pharisees. When the woman came and and broke the the perfume and cried on his feet and perfume and wiped his feet with her hair, that was at a Pharisee's house. He was eating with the religious people that he didn't like very much. Where we find Jesus, he's eating at Matthew's house with tax collectors and prostitutes. They were having a party and Jesus was there, telling stories, enjoying the company. He said, Zacchaeus, you calm down, why? I'm going to your house today and we're gonna sit down and we're gonna have a meal together. What's the last thing that Jesus did with the 12 before he was arrested? He had a meal. What did Jesus do after he rose from the dead? He walked with two of the followers to Emmaus, and he had a meal, and it was when he broke the bread that they realized, oh my gosh, it's Jesus. He goes to Galilee, and he's got shore lunch ready for the disciples. You find Jesus at the table, just like Ecclesiastes tells us to enjoy. This is a This hangs on our refrigerator at home. From Brian Zond. The risen Christ did not appear at the temple, but at meal tables. The center of God's activity had shifted. It was no longer the temple, but the table that was the holiest of all. The church would do well to think of itself not so much as a kind of temple, but a kind of table just like Kathy showed us a couple of weeks ago as we gathered around the tables right in this room. Consider the difference between the temple and the table. The temple is exclusive. you got to be good and righteous to get in. But the table is egalitarian. I'm sorry, it's inclusive. The temple is hierarchical. you got really higher ups and lowers, but the table is egalitarian. We're all sitting at the same table, The temple is authoritarian, the table is affirming. The temple is upright and status conscious, but the table is relaxed, family style. The temple is a rigorous enforcement of purity codes that prohibits the unclean. The table is a welcome home party celebrating the return of sinners. The temple was temporal. The table is eternal. We thought God was a deity in a temple. Turns out, he was a father at a table. Isn't that beautiful. So I want everybody close your eyes real quick for me, if you will. And I want you to think about think about the table that's most meaningful to you, where you've eaten. Maybe it's Grandpa and Grandma's table that you remember growing up Thanksgiving. Maybe it's your kitchen table at home right now. Maybe it's maybe it's a table at home where you grew up, think about the table that is special. Got it in your mind? Just keep thinking about it. Keep picturing it. I want to read this. This is also on our refrigerator at home by Joy Harjo. The world begins at a kitchen table. No matter what, we must eat to live. The gifts of earth are brought and prepared and set on the table, so it has been since creation, and it will go on. We chase dogs away from it, babies teethe at the corners of the table, they scrape their knees under it. It is here that children are given instructions on what it means to be human. We make men at it, we make women. At this table we gossip and recall enemies and the ghosts of lovers. Our dreams drink coffee with us as they put their arms around our children. They laugh with us at our poor falling down selves as we put ourselves back together once again at the table. This table has been a house in the rain, an umbrella in the sun. Wars have begun and ended at this table. It is a place to hide in the shadow of terror, a place to celebrate the terrible victory. We have given birth on this table and prepared our parents for burial here. At this table we sing with joy, with sorrow. We pray of suffering and remorse. We give thanks. Perhaps the world will end at the kitchen table while we're laughing and crying and eating of that last sweet bite. Yeah, you can open your eyes. So, yes, life under the sun, we enjoy those moments. We enjoy the little simple pleasures, and Jesus would affirm that over and over and over again. Lesson number two, that Jesus would affirm from Ecclesiastes, you're going to die. There you go. I was listening to uh, music on YouTube yesterday, and I was listening to the blues. Blind Willie Connor. His song... I was born to die. That's Ecclesiastes. And Jesus would affirm that. See, in Ecclesiastes 3.19, he says, humans, animals, same fate, wise, fool, righteous, wicked, everyone dies. In nine, chapter nine, verse five, he says, "Living, the living know that they're going to die. We know this. And Jesus would say, yes, and. Unless a wheat, a seed of wheat dies and is buried, it will never sprout to new life. Yes, everyone is going to die. But you know what? If you want to follow me, you have to take up your cross, which is what? It is a method of execution. You have to die to yourself. Because it's in dying that we find the gateway to life. Yes, we are all going to die, but whoever lives believing in me will never die, he said to Mary and Martha. Do you believe this? Yes, we're going to die, but death is not the end. And lesson number three. I don't control anything. It's all hevel. It's all smoke. It's all vapor. I feel like I control something, but every time I try and grab hold of that vapor, it flits, goes away. Can't get hold of it. Ecclesiastes begins the book with it meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. He ends with it. It's the last thing he says meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. It's all hevel. And a couple of weeks ago in chapter 10, he said, Yeah. Tragedies happen. You dig a pit only to fall in it. You're quarrying stone, and all of a sudden the stone falls on you. Didn't see that coming. You tear down a wall not knowing that there's a snake in there. <laughs> and it bites you, and you die. What the hell? And Jesus would say, Yes, and Peter. In the end, let me tell you, Peter, you're going to be led away to a place you don't wanna go by men you don't wanna follow. You are going to die, suffer a terrible, painful death. Sign me up. What the hell, Jesus? Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapters 11 and 12, He says this, here's Paul, servant of Christ, leader of the church in Asia Minor. I've been in prison frequently. I got flogged several times. I was shipwrecked three times. And one time I spent all night and the next day floating in the sea on wreckage. What the hell? I was pelted with stones. I've known hunger, thirst, I've gone without food, I've been naked and cold. What the hell? God, you call this good living? And Paul says, yes, yes. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, about my tragedies, about the bad things that happen so that Christ's power may rest on me. That's why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and tragedies and difficulties and things that don't go my way. Because when I am weak, then I am strong. So I get an email saying that our biggest client is going away. I asked to double and God cuts it significantly. Why? Why? How am I going to respond to this? Wendy and I both in the moment and I told Wendy this earlier. I will never I will never unhear Wendy l- seeing the email over my shoulder and she, she doesn't do this. But she did. And I will never unhear her going, "No, no, 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 no." No. So we sat on the couch together and we said it's a chain reaction of praise moment. So let's pray. And the first thing we did is we praised God for this client that's been a blessing to us for 16 years. We praised God for the opportunity that I've had to walk spiritually with members of my, my client. I've, I've helped disciple people within this client. I have built great relationships, and we have been blessed over the years by them. So we praised God for it, and then we committed ourselves to God. God, act a better faith. We don't know what you're doing. <laughs> We're going to trust you. And then on Wednesday, I've been, I've been blogging through Genesis on my chapter day blog. And I'm reading through the story of Joseph. And here's Joseph, who was his father's favorite son. He gets sold by his brothers into slavery. What the hell? And then he becomes the head of Potiphar's household. And gets accused, wrongfully accused, of attempted rape and thrown into prison. What the hevel? And then he's in prison. And he interprets the cupbearer's dream and he says, Hey, you're gonna be restored to your job. But when you are there with Pharaoh, remember me languishing here in the cell. And the cupbearer forgot him. And he's still there in prison. What the hell? I could even hear Josephs whispering that in his cell. Are you kidding me? But here's the thing. One of the things that, that Ecclesiastes couldn't see under the sun is that there is a story being told. It is a grand level four story of eternity. It is the great story from Genesis to Revelation. And so Joseph... At the very beginning, he has this dream in which he foreshadows and sees foreshadowed that someday he is going to save his family and be the redemption of his family. And his father and his brothers are going to bow down to him. And everything that is happening to Joseph is leading to the end of the story that's already written. Part of a great story. So then I began thinking about it and pondering it, and I don't know why I didn't think of us in any of the 12 weeks we've been studying Ecclesiastes. But then I, I thought ahead and I said, well, after Genesis comes Exodus, and God is going to lead Joseph's family out of slavery in Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land. And when God does that, help me out, Bible scholars, when God leads them through the wilderness into the promised land, how does He appear to them every day? A pillar, a cloud. What's a cloud? It's water vapor. God is in the heaven. God is in the heaven of our lives. And I sat there in the morning at my desk and I just went, Oh, God. That email yesterday, what the hevel. God, you are in the hevel. You are telling a story, and that story is already written just like Joseph's. And I can trust you in it. So what's the hevel of your life right now? <laughs> what are you into? am going to ask the worship team to come on up. I thought about Job this as I was thinking about this. Job, who said, even though he slay me, even though God slays me, and think about all the hevel in Job's life, yet will I put my hope in him. Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and staff, they comfort me. Surely, Goodness will follow me all the days of this life under the sun, and I will dwell where? In the house of the Lord forever. This last Christmas, Wendy and I had the joy of having our grandson, Milo, with us for, for a couple of weeks. And when our house, Wendy actually uh, designed, pretty much designed our house. And when we first moved in uh, to the house, and I was kind of looking at the whole thing laid out. So you come in our, our side door to the mudroom, and then there's a hallway to the kitchen, and you have the kitchen. Now on the other side of the kitchen is a pantry. So if you go to the end of the kitchen, you turn, you go into the pantry. The pantry leads back to the laundry room, which is attached to the mudroom. And I said to Wendy, you realize that you designed a racetrack for our grandchildren. And that, at that point, grandchildren were just, you know, a, a gleam in our daughter's eye. <laughs> that was it. But Milo did not take long in his little three-year-old self to discover the racetrack. And so several times a day, he'd say, Papa, I wanna run in a circle. Watch this video with me real quick. Hey, I'm going to get you. Get back here. Get back here. What are you doing? What are you doing? Where are you going? I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. And right to Yaya. Home base, safe. The next morning, Wendy and I came to church and we sang the song that we're about to sing. Your goodness is running after, running after me. And Wendy and I looked at each other and we just laughed and I kind of got misty because yeah, that's what God does. Surely goodness is following. And no matter what the hell is in your life that you're experiencing, I want to assure you what God's word says is God is in the hevel and his goodness will never stop running after you. God, thank you. That you came to show us but there's more to the story and give us a glimpse of where it's all leading. Thank you. Thank you for the difficulties and trials and persecutions and tragedies, all the unexpected emails and the things that come into our lives that we don't understand. Even though I am slave, yet will I trust you and put my hope in you. Thank you that you keep chasing after me with your goodness. In Jesus' name. Let's stand and sing this together.
1: This is a little unexpected. I just keep feeling like it's a a feeling that I've had all week that's not actually related to what Tom has been talking about today. Uh, But there's been a lot going on in our country over the past year and over the past week. And there's a lot of opinions and a lot of hatred and a lot of angry words. And those angry words are also coming from believers in Jesus. And I just feel this week like there needs to be an exhortation for all believers that in every conversation, in every social media post, in everything we say and do, they will know that we are Jesus followers by our love. Not because we have opinions, not because we think we have right on our side, whatever you believe that right to be. And not because we're Americans or all the things that go with that, but because we are first and foremost, children of our King who has justice sorted out And we don't have to do that. So I just want to encourage all of us and spread that word amongst everyone you know that believes in Jesus, that this week, ongoing, if you're going to be on social media and out in the world, remember that love is how we lead. Thank you.
0: Will you receive this blessing? May the love of God the Father embrace you. May the grace and mercy of Lord Jesus Christ pour over you and purify you from every sin and unrighteousness. And may the presence and power of Holy Spirit guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus this day, each day, until we meet again. Bring a picture with you for our wall next week, will you? Wonderful, have a great week.